Hey, this is Matthew fucking Justice, and you're listening to Wrestling Cheers. Taking your way in the world today, takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries, sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And welcome back to Wrestling Cheers, where everybody knows your name, especially when it's Absolution, baby. This is Wrestling Cheers. We'd like to talk about things going on in the Northeast Ohio independent wrestling scene. We preview shows, we review shows, and sometimes we even have interviews along the way. This is a retro review of AIW's Absolution 7 from July 1st, 2012. I am your host, Justin Summers, and Wrestling Cheers is brought to you by the Trending Topics Network and Midwest Territory. Please rate, review, and subscribe your Everless's fine podcast, whether it be Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Podbean, WrestlingCheers.podbean.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Wrestling Cheers, Twitter.com slash Wrestling Cheers, and Instagram.com slash Wrestling Cheers. Email if you so choose, desire wrestling cheers at gmail.com. And we have the merch store over at whatamaneuver.net. Like I said, we will be talking about Absolution 7 from 2012. And this was my first Absolution. And it was really, really fun going back and uh, watching it for the first time since that day. So, of course, you have me. And we also have, coming back from last week, we have Dustin Alberti. Two weeks in a row, popping the town. Here I am. And you were also at the show. I was also at the show. You can see me in my nice pink sweater vest, clean shaven with a nice sleazy mustache. Now, those were the good old days. Good old days of Dustin. Beautiful time. It was a beautiful time. And we also have Stacy. Hey, man. How's it going? It's going good. You were not at the show. No. <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> this Not was- at all. Years after your first AIW show and years before you, when you would actually start coming to AIW. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, like, this is what, 2012? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like three years, uh, three, three and a half years before the first show I go to. Well, regularly. Like I said, the date was July 1st, 2012. We haven't seen an Absolution like this since then because Absolution was on a Sunday. I remember going into work the next day extremely tired. It was worth it, but I was extremely tired, and I don't think AIW has had Absolution on a Sunday since then. I think the last Sunday show might have been uh, Russell Rager Day 3. Is that right, Dustin? Uh, part of me wants to say that they had it on Sunday again until Absolution 10. It was always a Sunday show, but part of the reason that Absolution wasn't a Sunday show when it was at Mount Carmel is because obviously it's a church, yeah, and they need that parking lot and that space on a Sunday. And ten was on a Friday, like normal. Was it? Yeah, it, I, I don't. I know. I, I, I know ten wasn't on a on a Sunday. Maybe because I didn't go to nine. I want to say that might have been a Sunday. I can't remember, and I can't remember eight either. I'd have to look at a calendar and figure out when eight was. But I don't... Uh, I'm going to look. 
part of me doesn't think it was, or maybe just my job situation afterwards. Cause I just remember with this being my first absolution, like I was tired of shit the next day. Yeah, it was a, it was a long day. So going into this show, Stacy, did you have any type of thoughts of what you would think of a 2012 AIW show? Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, I, I looked, I looked at, you know, obviously like what the card was for the show before I watched it. And I knew it was going to be at Turner's. So, I mean, I have an understanding of what that's going to look like. I, there were things about it I didn't expect though. Like there was shit that I had no clue was there. Like the video projector and the video projector and stuff. I had no clue that that was a thing. The video projector, for those who don't know, the, like, and this is part of my notes, is the fact of the promo packages you saw before matches, not counting the promos that you see, uh, just the, like single wrestlers and all that kind of stuff. The ones that are like like a nice promo package, those were shown to the crowd, and it it was this really cool experience. There is something that happens later on in the show that they didn't play the same video on the on the stream that they played in live for us because it was a whole thing that went on for a couple months and for some reason they didn't they didn't show those same videos or even close to it but at at that point the show was getting longer like I've, it ended like after 4 hours then that's just what you saw on the stream or the DVD that counting what it was like in person have you figured that out, Dustin, yet? Uh, not yet. I only got to, uh, I looked at Absolution 10, that was on a Friday. Uh, that's as far as I've gotten so far. Because I have to go back, find the date, and go and look at the, what day it was back then, uh, mm-hmm. calendar. And- well, Absolution 7 was after JLIT 2012, which was the first Jaylet tournament and that was won by Eric Ryan where the title was put on the line and this this is something that will come in with the main event with the title and the the title in AIW hadn't been defended since I want to say hell on earth it was whenever Shima won it right because he never defended it did he never defend I, I, I thought he was there at hell on earth and then he, he wasn't there since then, for those who don't know, that is Shima Zion, a.k.a. Ziba Ion, a.k.a. DJZ, a.k.a. Joaquin Weil. Uh, he, he was the AIW Absolute Champion, and there was months, because this was when he was starting to get more involved with TNA, that he wasn't able to defend the title at shows, and then after a while, they finally stepped in and like, all right, you know, we got to we have to strip you of the title and then we're just going to crown a new champion. And that's what happened at Jaylet. So the, the it was really crazy because I think the whole title picture, you might be right, Dustin, that he might not have defended it. I think he might have been there at Hell on Earth, but I don't think he had a title defense because that was the only championship that I didn't see defended until Absolution. Meanwhile, all the other belts had been defended, and I think some of them have changed changed hands before I saw anything really happen with the absolute title. He defended it twice. He defended it, so he won it from Johnny at Absolution 6, and then he defended it at They Live against RSP, okay. then he defended it at Hell on Earth 7 against BJ Whitmer. Okay, so he he did defend it at Hell on Earth 7. Yes. Okay. 
And then after this show, you get a Girls' Night Out 7. And then after that was Point Break. Fun fact with the history of this show, Point Break was the first uh, show covered by that time Ohio Indie Report uh, preview and review. Actual preview was before the show. The review was the first like official show of Ohio Indie Report. Other than that, uh, some of the other notes that I have like about the day uh, you have like on commentary, you have Aaron Bauer, Matt Wadsworth, who were on the same show that we reviewed last week, but it also had Paul Aaron Rogers, who he was in AIW for a while, but he, I know he moved away and also Vic Triviante for those who don't know, that is Vic Joseph now in WWE. Yeah. And it seemed like from watching it, this first time like the the commentary just kind of switched up who was on commentary match to match yeah like i don't know if wadsworth and aaron bauer were ever on commentary together i think they were but i i wasn't taking notes of like who did commentary for what but um it was it was a nice jumble i think aaron and vic wadsworth and paul rogers vic and aaron then aaron and paul rogers Vic and Aaron. Uh, I think ACH Adam Cole is the only one that they're on together. Okay. Because I thought they, they paired everybody up at least once. And then the other other things I have noted of like people in the crowd. Uh, for those who have never seen him this young, there was Baby Caden. There was also a pre-wrestling Worldwide can be spotted. Also Denver, Colorado, the man, not the place. And for those who don't know, because I feel like we haven't talked about her really in a long time and that's Haley hatred you could see there and he's never wrestled in aiw but he was there helping somebody out there is a very young andrew palace also there those were some of the names that i had of people that were in the crowd outside of other regular aiw fans just in nicholson was there shout out nicholson you don't know nicholson shout out nicholson (laughs) i was like i was like who the fuck's that there was a, well, there was Justin Karyotakis who hasn't really come to AIW much. I think I saw him at Hell on Earth. Yeah, it's, I I haven't seen him in a while. He's he's got kids and a life that he's got to tend to a lot. So you know he comes when he can. Any other people you notice in the crowd? V- some vintage Laporta. <laughs> yeah, vintage Laporta. Was, you know that whole that whole section of the crowd hackles there. It's a it's a beautiful time. Beans, Briggs, Riggs with the dreads. Yeah, Rigs with the dreads. I I noticed that too. Like I was like, oh man, because he had the dreads for at least a while, and that was always noticeable. And then like he cut he cut those off a while ago. Yeah, it's like when Laporta cut his hair, and everybody was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was never around for long haired Laporta. Outside of like old pictures and me and him like sitting not too far from each other at Unforgiven, like I've rarely ever seen long haired Laporta. So. I'm used to short hair Laporta. Well, and then I don't know if we're going to tackle it or not, but a few crowd regulars had a part of the show too. I mean, we can we can get into uh, the beginning of the show. Okay, if you're watching on IWTV or if you have the DVD, I believe it's the same thing. Is you're going to see something at the beginning of the show that actually took place during intermission. So at the time in AIW, there was an intern competition and. 
you used to be able to find the videos on YouTube, but I think those have all been taken down. But there was uh, like every show, the interns had to do some sort of like task or, or whatever. And I think this all started at uh, Girls Night Out in January. I forget which show that was, but they they would earn points for what they did and all this kind of stuff. And it it accumulated to this show and then, like they would reveal who the winner was and that's when we saw the beginning uh, of what we later would know as hope and change gregory iron and veda scott i don't know what else needs to be said about the uh the interns basically for those who don't know uh the winner was monsoon classic still you know with aw still selling pizza like he has been for years really the only sensible option of the four intern uh hopefuls yeah was monsoon classic oh you don't think doan could have <laughs> i don't think i would trust doan with anything that had to do with my money a fair statement i got to tell you man i i after watching this i think i might have to blame uh doan's uh stalker actions on greg iron i think doan could have had a different path in life and greg ruined it for him i don't know different I don't, I don't i don't know what kind of different path he like tone would have uh, not stalking <laughs> there's only there's only so many paths he can go down that would be worse than the path that he went down so who knows yeah i don't i don't have much else to say about the turn competition but yeah definitely looking back there was only one sensible choice and it was monsoon classic and it almost seemed like this was a way to get monsoon classic like a, bit, a way for him to make sense to sell pizza but other than that like yeah i, I don't know what would happen with any of the other three if they they became the aiw intern all right after that there's a bunch of promo pack uh just a promos of wrestlers and then i actually took a little bit of notes uh about this uh for in particular this was the debut of silesia sparks with ethan page funny thing Last week, we went over what I, I looked up was the final appearance from Silesia Sparks at AIW. She was detained at the border after day one or before day one. Um, so here is when they first got put together. But I think she was at the GNO before this in just a, a regular match. So this was uh, them getting paired up. There's the fact of this is face Duke. I've talked about this before going back and watching like Duke in this era feels so weird because this like this was the Duke I started off with, but it's been so long. It 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 now feels foreign. It just doesn't feel right. There's also the beginning of Davey Vega's solo career in AIW because he even mentioned that his tag team partner, Matt Fitchett, got injured and unfortunately couldn't be there he was they were supposed to be in the match against the briscoes and i really upset now we didn't get that but uh just the beginning of davy vega's solo career in aiw and then thorn quote uh cool quote here i said it was gonna be his very last wrestling match uh time has proven that was a lie but hey, that wasn't his fault i know he, well he 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 kept it going for a while compared to how most people have their wrestling retirements. I'll say this. Every match he's come out of retirement for have been worth it. Yeah, no, I've been there for every single one of them. I'm the only person to have been there for every <laughs> single one of John Thorne's on retirement matches. 
<laughs> I love that you always mention that. He's not the only one who hangs him up on the show and doesn't actually hang him up either. No, man. Well, That's very true. Kind of, sorta. They don't. Like, he actually says like he's not retiring. Yeah, yeah. In in a way, he's telling the truth. Like my memory of that show, I thought he did kind of state that he was retiring. But going back and watching, he actually says like I'm not retiring. I'm like, okay, now you don't look like a liar, but still, it felt like you were retiring. Ah, it's wrestling. Retirements aren't real. They're work every time. Do you guys have any thoughts on any of these promos? I miss Silesia Sparks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Say it again, two weeks in a row. Uh, Silesia, I'm thinking of you. I miss you. Please come back, baby. So on and so forth. Ego's always been a really good promo. Yeah. I even think back then he had more attitude. Like, he's just even more cockier back then. And I love it. All right, going into uh, the first match. Actually, something I want to talk to you about, Dustin. Do you remember coming into Turner's Hall that day? Uh, yeah, because Adam Laporta was giddy like it was Christmas morning because there was an all barbed wire uh, ring sitting there. It was, uh, it, was, it was interesting to see walking in, like, especially like you could tell there were some people who've never been to an AIW show before. You could tell there were like, I mean, nobody knew what to expect. Yeah, because uh, it was at that time, time like they even kind of mentioned, they would they didn't announce what the stipulation was going to be. And yeah, I was somebody even like even back then I was getting there early because seats were first come first serve. And for those who've never been to Turner's Hall, there was like little windows in the doors and those were taped over. If there was, I can't remember. I think there was. Anyway, the whole point is we didn't know what we were going to expect. Then doors opened, and there you see the ring with no ropes, nothing but barbed wire, and it's like, holy fuck. It's Yeah, it's, there's a whole, like, the last time AIW was supposed to have a no-rope barbed wire match, it was announced, and the Ohio Athletic Commission was like, yeah, you can't have those in Ohio. So they're like, oh, okay. And this was their uh, workaround to have a no-rope Barbar, your match. They just didn't announce it, so nobody knew. And by time anybody would find out, and they were to show up, there'd be no proof really that there was a barbed wire match. Remember Intense TV? Remember when that was a thing? When AIW had a, I don't know if it was a weekly, but at least every so once in a while YouTube show yeah. show you uh, uh, certain matches. Maybe they'd be a little bit recent maybe they were older you would have some particular hosts that would host it and then you would get promo packages here and there of uh, our promos building up matches and yeah this is i think around the end of that era but even when i when i first like i rewatched this about a year or so ago like i watched like half of it and like that was one of my notes was like remember intense tv remember when that was a thing yeah, uh, there's always been talk of bringing it back or this or that, but it's just, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And you never know who's, like, it, who knows where the work is going to land on, and most of the people in the office are uh, pretty overworked as it is, even with this, with these trying times. Uh, a lot of them are still kind of overworked anyways, so, I mean, it really just would, uh, it, it, it's just, it seems like it'd be way more work than anybody would want to do. Yeah, we're, we're at a point now where there's the AIW podcast, and that's kind of taken the spot of Intense TV. And if you want matches, 
Well, now you can go to IWTV. You can go still go on the YouTube channel and watch many, many ma- full matches that are on there, many clips of matches that are on there. And it's I've it's, and, you know, you can subscribe to the IW channel. And then when you do go to IWTV, if you use promo code absolute, you'll get a five day free trial. I think is what they're doing now. You'll get a five day free trial and you can watch some wrestling uh and also support AIW at the same time. Also, if you'd like, uh, you can go to the merch store, buy some merch, uh, check out the AIW Twitter. They're constantly posting some merchandise if you'd like to buy some. You know, just chilling. Just chilling. You know, I got one of those new shirts. They're very nice. Did you know that you could still sign up to AIWarchives.com? Yeah, please. Do that as well. Sign up to AIWarchives.com. I think there's some stuff on there that We'll probably never end up on uh, IWTV, so that's a good idea. Yeah, because I was looking up stuff, especially like for this show, and one of the things that popped up on Google was AWarchives.com, and I thought, there's no way in hell this is still active. Like, oh, no, it's still there. You can rent AIW shows, I think, for as low as two ninety nine, and then there was a monthly rate. I can't remember what it was, but I did saw, see that you could rent for two ninety nine. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, AIW Archives uh, was kind of used as a template when they were trying to build uh, Powerbomb TV, which became Independent Wrestling TV. So, you know, just uh, just a little bit of uh, history there for you. Any thoughts on this opening match, Ricky Shane Page versus John Thorne in a no-ropes barbed wire match? The main thing that I have here is it's a brutal fucking match. It was then was now. And uh, it's a little weird to watch 2020. That's all I'm going to say. I thought that double spike spot was real cool. I also thought that Ricky Shane Page's music was fucking awful. John Carpenter deserves better. His entrance music was like maybe straight up the worst entrance music I've ever heard a wrestler use. Uh, I have. Let's see. I have. Uh, Thorne has the best inflicting pain on somebody face. Like, he just, like, grits his teeth and looks like such a little psychopath. Uh, that's always nice. Um, the strike battles where they're striking back and forth and, like, they fall back into the barbed wire. That was a really cool spot. Uh, and the finish was super gross. And then they hug at the end. And you gotta love seeing a good hug. Hey, who's that ref in this match? <laughs> I don't remember his name. Uh, I think he only did, like, a couple other shows besides this one. Yeah, I had watched some old shows before, and I had never seen him. Like, this is the only time I've ever seen that dude on an AIW show. There, I know there were a few older refs when I first uh, started coming around. Like, I'm not older as in they were old, but they had, they had been around a while, but then they stopped showing up. And then there was a time where referees would kind of get tested on shows. Like, I want to say there's some GNOs where there's completely different referees that you've never seen at an AIW show. Yeah, AIW is always looking for a ref that was competent. You know, it's hard to find a good competent ref these days. Outside of Jake Clemens. Because that Jake dude... Jake Clemens dude, what, is a consummate professional. One of these matches, professional referee Jake Clemens gets booed. Jake had heat like some other referees, it seems. Yeah, Jack Lemons, baby. I think he was just kind of like uh, someone to fuck with. Because I, I, did, I remember the boo like when I was re-watching, and I'm like, why do we boo him? But at the same time... It was just a somebody to fuck with situation. That's all it ever was. At the same time, though, Potato got booed a lot, too. Oh, sorry. Dave Dawson got booed a lot, too. Uh, especially with 
everything that went on with Flexor Industries. We're going to get into their matches later, but uh, Stacy, what was your thoughts on like this whole Flexor Industries things? Because I don't feel like they really, really described it all. And this was the tail end of it. Like it didn't last much longer after this. So I kind of don't know what's going on with it. Like I can figure out that like uh, Chess Flexor has some dudes and apparently at some point a lot of them had titles, but I like for as good as it is, like giving you information for each match, like the feuds leading up to it. Uh, it didn't really go that deep. You know what I mean? Cause it feels yeah. like that probably went back a little further. So yeah, I, I don't really know what the deal with that is, but it seemed to be a major plot point for everything. Do you have an explanation on Flexor Industries, Dustin? Uh, Chess Flexor, as far as I know, is still yes. a minority owner in AIW. Uh, I believe uh, we haven't seen him. Maybe he's pulling the strings behind the scenes. Uh, but yes, it was him. And then it was Aeroform, who had the tag titles at one point. And it was the Bev, Bobby Beverly. Trust in the Thrust. We'll get there later. Uh, with the Intense title. The Chad, the muscle, the look. The Chad. The Chad. I don't know what happened to him, but RIP the Chad. Uh, and then the champion, Shima Zion, or as he would like to be called, as you find out later, Zima Ion, TNA superstar, Zima Ion. Uh, and yeah, they were just, uh, you know, running rough shot, and then they, they paid off that crooked ref, Dave Dawson. And and then he was a part of Flexor Industries, too. Yes, yes. He was part, he was their. They're paid off rough. It was the the heel faction of the time in AIW. And the end of this show really ends Flexor Industries. Because then it's it's not AIW against Flexor Industries. It's AIW and Flexor Industries versus this new group. And even then, Flexor Industries just... Like the Chad, like I don't even know if he was ever around after... Gauntlet for the gold that year. He he might have been it, Jaylit. I can't remember, but I know nothing after that. And then Shima was wasn't in AIW a lot. So then the only people you really had left were Bobby Beverly, Dave Dawson, and uh, Aeroform. Not much of a group. And then, but it is kind of cool because they like you see Flexor Industries like coming in there to defend AIW at the end. But biggest thing is like this is the end of of all of that going back to rsp and john thorne any other thoughts on this match i just want to stress how shitty that music was and i like to point out how awesome it was to hear john thorne's other theme music second sucks by a day to remember coming out in the bayside cult hoodie just really perfecting that like mid-2000s pop punk scene <laughs> kid vibe that he had going on coming out i really i i respect it i respect it highly yeah, it's like he showed up straight from Warp Tour. And I can respect that. I can 100% respect Absolutely. I can't respect whatever the fuck that music was, Ricky. It was those other people at Warp Tour that nobody wanted to hang out with or, like, deal with. That's what that was. The people who went to go see, like, Whitechapel at Warp Tour. Like, nobody wanted to see Whitechapel at Warp Tour. Or, like, a job for a cowboy. Nobody was there to see that at Warp Tour. No, no, nobody was there to see a mirror. No, a Casey strain. Anyway, it was uh, Ricky Shane Page getting the win hate to see it like i said it's a really weird match to watch in 2020 well and it t- but it tells a really good story of like foreign being like hey man like i'm sick of you wasting your potential and giving up on yourself like fucking do something already and 
the story that's told from here on out, like, is actually like a really good story leading up to Absolution 10. So, like, I mean, this is like a three, pretty much a three year arc on the Ricky story, and it it's a, it's a really good story to watch from like this point on. Oh, I be- I believe it, and I liked like with all the the vignettes and stuff leading up to it. It did. It told a really good story, even for somebody who wasn't like there and saw the whole thing like over time happen. I just, you know, in 2020, you hate to see it. All right. Right after this was not an official match. It was a uh, Latin crime syndicate versus a Smission squad. Basically, it was just a brawl to dis- distract a crowd from the barbed wire coming down and the ropes being put up. This also ended the feud of the Latin Crime Syndicate versus the Submission Squad, something that had been going on for a couple of months. And this was, I think, the last time we seen the Latin Crime Syndicate. It was then like the Submission Squad carried on. But one of my biggest critiques, like going back and thinking about the Submission Squad, I really liked them, but I felt like they were treated as a joke and were always on the losing end of things, which might have been the purpose of them. But I also thought they could have been really cool tag team champions when they were in the Double Dare tournament. Any thoughts on this match or brawl? Yeah, man. I love that there were just plastic lawn chairs in the crowd. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Turner's Hall had like a mishmash of chairs. There was like the regular steel chairs and then there's like some of the lawn chairs and then there's different steel chairs. Like it's. Basically, there were like those really thin, tiny, shitty ones that were terrible. Yeah. That if you sat on, you'd like try your hardest to find somebody to like swap it with before somebody sat in the other seat. I'm not gonna lie. There was times at Turner's Hall, I would get a chair, and it was already like probably fucked up from the show before, and I'm like, nope, I can't, I can't sit in this thing. It's already like half leaning yeah. and shit. Honestly, like you get sometimes you get a chair at Turner's Hall, and like you were just better off standing. Like, like sitting in it would have been like pointless. I also love that everybody clears out, right? Like this, this brawl match is happening. The whole crowd moves like all the way back against the walls, except for those two dudes who just chilled in their chairs the whole time as the match happened around them. Yeah, that's a, that's what Turner's Hall was like. I I did kind of notice the different chairs and it brought me back to that. Like, oh my God, like it, it looks like shit. Like, granted, you're going in, like, you don't care where you sit or whatever, like, as long as you're there and all this, because you don't care what chair you get, I should say. Now we've seen it to where, whether it be the Odeon or Mount Carmel or wherever, like, there's chairs, at least they're all, like, uniform or somewhat close to it. Not like, oh, there's a plastic lawn chair, and then there's maybe a little bit of a cushioned steel chair, and then there's a regular steel chair, and then there's, like, a couple seats that you can tell they got at a uh, school like those kind of like chairs like uh, the wood the wood slat steel chairs those were always good too oh yeah i would say good memories but it's not like wooden church chairs like those wooden folding chairs yeah basically yeah Uh, those but i'm talking i'm talking about like the ones that are like they're like a really shitty like aluminum and then they just have like a piece of plywood on top of them that's like oh, those are to the awful. size of your ass. Yeah, there were yeah. a couple of those around. Yeah, they also did have just the wooden folding chairs too. 2012, but anyway. Um there really isn't much to say about this. There's no winner, there's no loser. It's just, hey, uh look at this while we're changed on the ropes, and then by the time it was done, we're ready to continue on with the show. I'll say if you're looking for some good 
Aaron Bauer not understanding what's going on commentary. This is fantastic. There's multiple times where he says, like, we got to send them back to Puerto Rico. I don't think they have a green card. Like, when Puerto Rico's part of the United States. <laughs> like, it's, he says, he says so many things that are just, like, a little off. Also, RIP K Fed, one of the greatest, greatest, uh, Hispanic wrestlers of our day. RIP K Fed. All right, let's, uh, move on to the next match. Next up, they, they gave you the official match graphic, but that was changed even coming into this. It was supposed to be Archibald Peck in the match, but you'll see him later. That was replaced by Eric Cannon versus Drake Younger versus Ethan Page with Sleazia Sparks versus Davey Vega versus Facade versus a mystery person in the match. And you, I had figured even like that night and rewatching it that Eric Cannon was supposed to be the mystery guest. But obviously when Archibald Peck doesn't come out and there's still short one, no, uh, the mystery opponent is none other than Eddie Kingston. And this was my first time ever seeing Eddie Kingston live. And I thought it was really weird that they started off without him, but it made it cooler when he came out. You know what's not weird? What? Facade in a scramble match. <laughs> uh, fun thing. Another thing that connects last week's show, Dustin, is this was the AIW debut of Eric Cannon. And I'm pretty sure that last week was the last match of Eric Cannon in AIW. The only other match he had in AIW. Yeah, it's it's funny, too. Like, we kind of talked about, I don't know if we talked about it on air or before we went on air. Uh, like, the, like, you kind of like the the newness of some of the people in here. Like, Davey Vega, like, when we were watching him, he was, like, winning the intense title. And, like, in this, it's like, it's my first ever a uh, singles match and then like Ethan Page it's like I'm still searching for my first victory and Eddie Kingston it's a like he's like a special attraction he's not even like part of the AW roster he's still the Chikara Grand Champion yeah like it's just interesting was this the last appearance of Drake Younger uh I don't think so I I'm pretty sure he had a match against Michael Elgin when Elgin was champion and Elgin was taking on a uh, former AIW champion. That sounds about right. Yeah. I know. I know I seen Elgin and younger at Midwest wrestling when that was a thing for a short period of time right before this. But yeah, that does sound right too. But Drake wasn't, he, at this point he, he didn't do a lot of AIW bookings, but I think that was because he was in California. Yeah. He was in California. He just cleaned his life up. Uh, and yeah, that was, that was about it. I think a lot of scramble matches in AIW are, are, are kind of the same formula. Just, I mean, it's it's a lot of shit going on. Uh, didn't have a lot of notes about the action. I think that's pretty much it of what I got. The fact that also Kingston was the current Chikara Grand Champion, like Dustin mentioned, and Drake was the current CZW Junior Heavyweight Champion at that time. And now you can find Drake block- blocking uh, Young Ev on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, well, not not just Twitter on Instagram, and I guess if he had Facebook, Ed would have got blocked on Facebook too. Oh, I'm sure. I man, I thought the Kingston and Eric back and forth that kind of ended this match was really fucking good. Uh, I also this watching this match made me want to see a 2020 uh, ego versus Eddie Kingston match. Let me tell you, if this match makes you want to see an ego versus Kingston match more recently. 
go back and watch last week's uh, show that we reviewed, Failure by Design, by Design, and watch that. I like I said last week, the Eddie Kingston Ethan Page feud that started there. Well, it actually started at WrestleRager, but the first match started there, and that whole arc leading even into Mount Carmel is just an A plus Eddie Kingston versus Ethan Page just story and all of the matches are just fantastic. And then also in two weeks we'll be covering Absolution Ten, which has their historic uh dog collar match. I I wish we could see more of Eddie Kingston and Ethan Page. I mean granted outside of like the circumstances of the world, but they go together really well and they're two wrestlers that I think could be on a bigger stage doing the same thing. I mean, granted, they're not going to have that same kind of dog collar match, but they're they're both men that know how to talk, and they have great chemistry together. So if any company were to put them together uh, and highlight their, this kind of feud, I think it would, be, it would be money. No other thoughts on the scramble? Uh, sorry. Um, I have to say... A couple things. One, Sleazio used to love my heart. Uh, <laughs> two, the Jim Tomy Ramones uh, rip yes. shirt. Yeah. Air Cannon's wearing. I asked him where he got it that night, and he said that he bought it from a dude online, and he only had a certain amount sold. And from time to time, I still check to see if I could find that shirt somewhere. That's like one of my Grail shirts, and I wish somebody would just like reprint it. Because it's not that hard of a design to make if anybody wanted to make it and, you know, make some money. They would have my money for sure. Uh, I have the DVD that Drake gives the facade on the apron where facades like angles get caught on the middle rope and he just kind of slams to the ground. It was very gross. Uh, there's a backdrop driver battle, which is part of the uh, amazing Eddie Kingston versus Eric Cannon like ending to this match. Uh, and that's about it. Those are my notes. Do you have any more notes, Stacey? No, I'll say this though. Like, so the first match you had different commentary than this match, right? Yeah. And in this one, you've got Wadsworth. And <clears throat> like, you can tell that Vic is like polished, you know, that he's a little more like trying to be a traditional wrestling announcer or like a TV style wrestling announcer. But man, for my money, like, you can just hear the difference. Even Wadsworth back then is such a good wrestling and i have it in my notes like for this match like oh wadsworth on commentary commentary just got better i think wadsworth is is underrated in commentary i think i don't think we talk about him enough and i was really realizing it during this show there's only one other person in commentary that i wish we could hear again and we're gonna get to him here shortly because i have a note on them but they weren't on commentary on this show but i think they absolutely killed it Nothing else on the scramble match that was won by Eddie Kingston. I'll throw out one more thing. Say what you want about Drake Younger, but there was there's something about Drake Younger at this show and then within AIW, like the excitement that he brings. Like he even like says like it's Absolution Baby, and it, that's something that obviously comes from him. But I really like that side of Drake. I know he has this the his real life side, which is not nearly as cool. But I will always well, I mean- choose to remember this over anything. Even outside of, like, his today politics, like, Drake Younger, the couple times I interacted with him, was, like, a super nice guy. Like, he, I mean, like I said, outside of politics that he has today, like, back then, he he had just gotten clean. He just found God. Like, he was, like, in a good place. He was super positive, super happy. Like, he was a, he was a good person to be around at this point in time. 
Yeah, it's weird how that works. Like, I've known a lot of dudes who went through recovery, and recovery leads them to Jesus. And they are really good for a little while, and then somehow it all goes sour. And it's usually not sour like that they relapse with drugs. It's that the other shit makes them crazy. Just from personal experience. <laughs> all right, let's uh, move on to the next match. Next up, we had Marion Fontaine versus Colin Delaney in a bare knuckles brawl with a special guest referee, Archibald Peck. This was the real beginning of the old school slash real man character that we saw debuted at jail. You actually saw the promo package that was on YouTube uh, at that time, and it was used to build up jaylit and where we would have the the megastar character turn into this character i don't know what to call i now because of old wrestling that's kind of like where i i like to describe it it's it's old wrestling marion fontaine and it's crazy to think like how much he has progressed this character to to the point of where we have old wrestling and this was early stages this was before he had the queen entrance theme and it's just really kind of cool to see that progression. You also had Colin Delaney coming out with uh Rocky four kind of theme going on. And there's one thing that really made AIW and also made Marion Fontaine at this time. And that was Pedro's introductions. I, I love him as a ring announcer. He's my number one favorite. I mean, I love Steve guy and all, but there's this type of vibe that Pedro gives off. And it's so it's so authentic, so good. And I, I feel like we don't see that with many other people. I see, I think Steve is one of the best people to fill Pedro's shoes, though. But what I'd mentioned earlier is Pedro was really good on commentary. This When we got, went to Turner's Hall, he stopped doing commentary. But he did commentary before this. And I thought him as a commentator was really good. And I would love to see him try commentary again. One of the things I have in my notes for this match was that Pedro did Marion Fontaine's intro for this match. I realized he was trying to do it like old, old timey boxing. Yeah. But it totally was like the blueprint for the way he announces it old. Oh, 100%. Like that's, I think there, there was so much that came from this character, even like with Pedro announcing like that, that they put it into that old wrestling world and, and like build things around it. So, yeah, like that was the way Pedro would do ring announcing in uh, old wrestling. Also, the montage piece like this, all the videos leading into this match were (laughs) just the best, just the fucking best, like on both sides. There's a lot to like in this match. I really this I like this match way like this was the surprise for me on the show where I was like, I don't know. It's like a gimmick match. I loved it. I loved this whole fucking thing. Yeah, it's like the first thing I have is the Fontaine character change, like going from the Megastar to the Handlebar Haberdasher. Like, it's, if you go back, I just looked, I was looking to see if their videos are still there, and they are. You can go back and, like, watch, like, there's, like, four or five videos that show, like, him changing, like, videos that aren't even in that video package, like, because it kind of starts where, like, you do see in the video package, like, I gotta do something different, like, what I'm doing isn't working, and then he gets the idea of being, like, a real man, and then, like, there's a video of him challenging himself to become a real man, and a whole montage is built on that, and then there's a whole montage built on, like, his first challenge is gonna be a woman, 
So he has to learn how to he he learns to win with charm. No, like that the whole video thing. That was a year later. That was uh, Jayla 2013. I thought it was. Oh no, yeah, it was the next Jayla. My bad. But yeah, like there's a bunch of videos of him like like at the time he's using videos really well to build up the character and who the character was. And it's really fun to go back and watch. Archul Peck was injured, by the way. We didn't really mention it. That's why he wasn't in the oh, scramble okay. match that he was supposed to be in. I didn't know that he was injured. Who the, who the fuck is Archibald Peck and why is he wearing that hat? <laughs> Archibald Peck is a Chikara wrestler. He is a uh, band leader, an evil band leader. Uh, but he, okay. has a, he has a character, uh, like a a character swap that he does in Chikara called, or he did in Chikara called mixed martial Archie, where he would do an MMA style gimmick, uh, when he got pushed to those limits. So it's like, he's like an evil band director. And then he becomes like a grapple fuck boy. And it's, it's, it's a very fun gimmick change here and there. Okay. Uh, so things make sense now because the, there's another person on this show. That's got like a marching band gimmick too. Yeah. That, I, that Veronica Ticklefeather. That's yeah. his old, manager uh, manager yeah I was, and the I, fact that that came from chikara now it all makes sense yeah yeah okay yeah. Uh, i was gonna also high comedy at the point out like this this whole match is like high comedy at its best yeah i was gonna mention the veronica thing too uh, the, uh they did one aw show together i want to say it was jaylet where they were together and it was i don't know what it was like in chikara but at least that night it was kind of an odd couple thing to where, like, she really didn't want to be a part of this relationship. You could tell, but he was still, like, all about it. But that only lasted that show, and then they kind of went, at least in AIW, they went on their own way. Well, Archibald Peck, he didn't show up in AIW much after this. No, he slowed down as a wrestler, and, like, you know, he uh he, he recently, like, he got, he got hired by WWE, and then, you know, he got... He's the one who famously got fired. That's how you might know Stacey. He famously got fired for basically telling Vince, like, I'm sick of this, like, childish, like, potty humor garbage. And he quit on the spot when Vince was going to fire him. He's like, no, oh, I quit. Okay. And he just walked out. And then he had, like, a couple matches when he came back, and that was kind of it. Like, the hype kind of started and then just kind of puttered out. Yeah, I had, I had somehow never heard of that dude until watching this show. And I was like, why does he have that hat on? What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> this was also yeah. Okay, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, he, he was Art. He was Robert. Robert Evans. R.D. Evans is what he was when he came oh, out okay. of Chikara. Yeah. In Chikari, he was Archibald Peck. Uh, and yeah, he, uh, he, he, was, he was an evil band director. As you know, you would have, you would, you would have in a Chikara situation. Makes total sense in Chikara. What I was going to mention is this was also the era of half shaven Colin, which I don't know what the reason was for, but if you go back and watch, if you great, don't notice, where like great ha- gimmick. half of his body is shaved and the rest is natural. Granted, it wasn't, it's not like Jocka level when he would do it. But it was still like you could notice it at certain points. Was there a reason for that? Do you know, Dustin? Just a different look, really. It's really all it was. Was it wasn't like there was like a there wasn't like a dark, deep secret about it. It was just like a like you know when you see somebody with a half shaven chest, you'll be like, oh, half that dude's body is shaved, the other half isn't. And it's just something that you kind of like notice about somebody. It's like a less racist take on Roddy Piper's. Uh... <laughs> 
gimmick against Bret Hart. Sure, sure, we'll go with that. Or it's like a less throw your shit version of what Gigi Allen did at his brother's funeral. <laughs> Hold on, no, Gigi's dead. It, it wouldn't have been Gigi throwing shit at his brother's funeral, would it? No, wasn't. Didn't Gigi show up to his? No, it was. Was it his dad's funeral? Uh, maybe it was his, his dad's funeral. He showed up to one of his family members' funeral with like half of his face shaven and done up in makeup, and the other half was just full. I gotta like, tell you, I never, I never imagined I would be in a conversation that went from Marion Fontaine to Gigi Allen. I never thought that would happen. <laughs> very, very similar versions of uh, uh, art of a uh, performance art. All right, it was Marion Fontaine won by KO. Any other thoughts on this match? It was it was great. It was, I loved the build up to this whole thing, and this was like the, we did see in the the promo package at straight out of Compton. Fontaine foreshadows like a change is happening because he's like, I got to become a real man. Like I I got to change this. And between that show and Jaylid is when we would see this character being born and like. You know, he's been doing it ever since. Yeah, and like the story told of Collins using wrestling, even though he's not supposed to use wrestling, and like the knockout looks super cool and super violent. Like that was, it was a good, it was a good situation. Yeah, it really builds to that third round well, and then the third round delivers. I, I really like this. It's really good. It's weird seeing Fontaine not have the the corner spot where he has a stool and all that kind of stuff between rounds because I don't remember if it was in the first Fontaine match, but going forward, there would be a lot of times, you know, the bell mysteriously rings and then he goes, does a corner spot with, uh, with a stool, you know, spittoon, whatever that was used so many times after this. And this was the one time that it's flipped where there's supposed to be those. And like, he doesn't have like a corner team. He doesn't, he doesn't have any of that stuff. It's Colin instead. That's a timeout. So I'd like to point out too. I I looked it up just to try to jog my memory as to why Robert Evans got fired. Robert Evans got fired because he was the agent in charge of the DX uh, Hall of Fame speech, where they kept saying Vince's name and Vince doesn't like his name being said in the Hall of Fame speech. So Vince yelled at Evans about the Hall of Fame speech and his name being in it. To which Evans said, "You know what? I quit." He walked away from him. So that's that's why he ended up getting fired as a writer at the WWE. Well, quitting as a writer at WWE. I remember he had a, he had like a really good video after that of him like being thrown out on the streets, and that was like leading to wherever he was doing next. But I don't have any memory after that with him. All right, let's move on to the next match. Next up, we had the AIW Tag Team Title Match: Champions Youth and Aja. Matt Cross and Josh Prohibition versus Aeroform. And that is what the match was supposed to be. But we had Veronica Ticklefeather come out and she threw in some new clients into the match. And that was the Batiri. And we kind of mentioned earlier about number one, about Veronica Ticklefeather. Uh, I also mentioned earlier, this is where I had in my notes, remember Flexor Industries, because like that was a way bigger deal at the time. I feel like in 2011, 2012, the tag team titles were very, very hot. A uh, lot of great matches, uh, a lot of good title changes. Like, I think in, in this amount of time, it went from, well, between when I started coming to this, which was uh, nine months, it went from uh, uh, Irish Airborne to Aeroform to Euthanasia to this match. And it made the, the tag team division 
which we say now like the tag team division AIW is hot. Like I feel like looking back, it's been hot. Also, yeah, the, the AIW tag team division has always been like something that they always pride themselves on. Like they always have like either like some of the best or some of the most underrated tag teams. Like I, I have in my notes that like the Batiri, like if they were still doing things as like hot as they were doing things back then, like today, there's no reason they wouldn't be like the biggest, if not one of the biggest tag teams in wrestling. Cause you know, wrestling does need more satanic demons. So Absolutely. that love pop tarts. Like, yeah. Satanic demons who love pop tarts. Uh, just, just like Oberion and Kodama. Like that's, that's what we need right there. That's, that's what we need in wrestling. There's like, a I'd lot like, of, uh, there's, I would love to see this rematch. Like, when wrestling comes back, like bring the Batiri in, do euthanasia, Aeroform, and the Batiri today. Like I feel like this match, this is like just a really good tag team match. And I feel like it'd be like an even better tag team match today. Dude, there are so many talented people in this match. Like ev- almost everybody in this match is amazing. What did you think of non-pirate Lewis Linden? I I like it better than pirate Lewis Linden. Like he's it's not annoying. Like in the tag team, he makes sense. Like that arrow form as a tag team is really fucking good. I just don't. Lewis Linden as a solo wrestler, as a singles wrestler, doesn't do anything for me. But in the tag team, it's great. And I always think Flip's a great wrestler. I think Flip's good regardless, singles, tag, whatever. I would say I think we need to see arrow form back together, but I think they've tried that. But we even had the. It was like this past year. There was yeah, an they're, they're back together. Aeroform is a tag team in AIW right now. Has it been so long since I've seen wrestling? I can't even remember. Didn't yeah, we have Aeroform and Euthanasia like in the past year? Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a more recent match. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to add the Batiri in there. I missed the Batiri. Yeah, like I said, more more wrestling satanic demons. That's what we need in wrestling. When when I was watching this, I was blown away by how good the Batiri was. Like I kind of forgot. I also thought it was funny that they mentioned a show that that would happen later on in the year uh, called End of the World, which happened on December 21st, 2012. Ironically, that's when the Batiri would lose the titles. Yeah, they were literally brought in like they were when the when the match when that show got announced, they were on the like before they even made their AIW debut, like they were on the like thing on the poster the event poster mm-hmm. like it was them for the end of the world what's crazy because they mentioned it on commentary i don't remember aiw ever giving you the december show in july i'm not saying they didn't but it was like i'm like no oh this my- was like a this is like the only time they've ever announced a show that far in advance and i think it's because they wanted they just wanted to hype up that they were running a show on the day that was supposed to be the end of the world Right, you don't only get that opportunity like that one time. So. Yeah, yeah, you know when the when the world's supposed to end on a Friday, you're like, yeah, yeah, the world's gonna end on a Friday. You got to take advantage of that, and that's exactly what you got to do. Uh, there wasn't gonna be a nightmare after Christmas or a nightmare before Christmas show, so it's like fuck it, do this one instead. It's so fucking worth it. Which that show, fuck that day, bad fucking storm that came through through the area, and I have no. It took me well over an hour to get from Akron to Cleveland. And there was a lot of other people that I know that went through some of the same shit. And there was a lot of travel issues that day. So any more on this match, it's 
I, I agree with you, Dustin. This is something that I, I would love to see, you know, when, when wrestling comes back. And even the Bateri, I don't know exactly what's going on with them, but if I got a one-off with them in AIW, I think it'd be great. Like, maybe throw them up against PME. Throw them up against fucking Eric and Bobby. Throw them up against... There's so, there's so many options. I think one of them moved to, like, Puerto Rico or Mexico or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that just kind of put an end to it. That's why, like, on the last show we watched, it was just Kodama versus Beta. And that's, like, the last time we really see any of the Bateri. Because I'm pretty sure the other one moved. So they didn't really have a team anymore. I was going to say... I could be wrong. I just thought that's what it was. I was going to say they could use a third member of the Bateri, but you can't now. Yeah, he's canceled. He's gone. Doesn't exist. All right. If there's nothing else on this match, let's go to the next one. In what many consider to be one of the best absolution matches of all time, Jock Sampson versus the Duke in a Texas slash Appalachian bull rope match. And this match is still fucking awesome. I'll never forget, especially being right in front of that table spot. And the motherfucker doesn't break the first time. So the Duke has to do a fucking Duke driver through it. I don't know where the fuck they got that table, but it wasn't it wasn't fucking ready. Um, this was also Jock's first absolution. I forgot too that when he first showed up, there was a lot of comparisons to Zach Galifianakis. That's why there was a one man wolf pack chant, and that's something I I've, I've completely forgot about. I'm also wondering if the Duke is still the king of the frat life. Uh, I can tell you that he still drinks like he's the king of the frat life. Uh, I actually recently uh, socially distanced and responsibly, of course, (laughs) uh, hung out with some of the members of the AIW roster. And together we all watched this match along with the Duke. And uh, I pointed out, and Thor wasn't very happy that I pointed it out, that all these years later, we talk about Absolution 7, and we talk about the end of the show, and we talk about Duke vs. Jock being the greatest match in Absolution history. And it was on the same show as a no-rope barbed wire match. That's how good this Appalachian bull rope match is, is that years later, nobody talks about a barbed wire, no-rope barbed wire match that was a surprise to open a show because it was outshined by an Appalachian bull rope match featuring Jock Sampson and of all people, John Thorne's archenemy, the Duke, outshined him. I'm pretty sure this is why Thorne hates the Duke, because he outshined his moment. He ruined Thorne's uh, retirement. Nobody remembers Thorne's retirement. Everybody remembers the Duke just going coast to coast, red equals green, baby, just blood all over the place. And then that Duke driver through the table, just mwah, chef's kiss. Great match. Yeah, one of my notes was, they did a really good like spacing of this match between the barbed wire match. So there was so much stuff in between that like having another blood and guts match didn't feel like overkill. Like it it was paced really well. I want to say this was the beginning of the second half. I don't remember, but if I'm trying to remember where it makes sense, it really makes sense between the tag match and this. That's yeah. We were trying to figure out, at the socially distanced, responsible 4th of July party that we watch this match at, 
when it took place, and I think we decided it was the first match after the mission. I'm pretty sure that's what we decided on. It also makes a lot of sense that this was the first match after intermission. Because, like, even after this point, we get some of the more higher profile matches. And I feel like this is, like, where you want to start off the first half with that no-rope barbed wire match. And this is where you want to start off the second half. And, yeah, that the only thing that I ever really talk about when it comes to that no-rope barbed wire match is walking in and seeing the ring. I don't have... Actually, it's that, and then afterwards, going into that that brawl. Like the, that's the only two things I ever talk about. But I, there's a lot I, to talk I about. I forgot with this to one. mention earlier the one the couple things that I remember too is after the match, seeing Ricky's hand, like when he got it taped up, like before he got it taped up, seeing Ricky's hand just torn open like that, and Thorne had a really deep, really gross hole in his wrist. I don't think he ever really got taken. He ever really got taken care of, and there's still a scar there. And like that was a really gross hole in his wrist from the barbed wire. Any other thoughts on this great match? I think it might be the best match of the night. I'd probably put it up there with Fontaine and Colin Delaney. But I think if there's a match that anybody talks about from this, and I'm talking about as a match as a whole, it's this. You know, bull rope matches are in. In the greater scheme of gimmick matches, they can be a pretty boring match at times. And that they were able to take a bull rope match and make it this good is a testament to the Duke and Jock. I don't think there's much else I can add to that, but it was the Duke winning. And uh, the Duke said he was going to step down from the active roster after this match. Technically, he was right because he's not really active roster, but the only thing I could say that maybe is, goes against that is the fact that the Duke, who, quote, stepped down from an active roster, is a Haas champion in AIW. Dustin, is that Haas boot an officially recognized championship currently? Um, I will say this. A lot of people want it. Uh, I have yet to really see anybody. Uh, uh, people have challenged, but I have never seen him defend uh, I have heard him say that he's defended around the world. Uh, he's a businessman and he travels a lot. And when he does travel, he allegedly says that he defends it. So, I mean, I wouldn't call the Duke a liar, but I wouldn't call him a truther. So, Kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier, Stacy, how did this Duke feel to you? Because this isn't the exact Duke of now. Man, I don't know. Like You guys keep talking about how it's like good guy Duke or like face Duke. Man, people booed the shit out of him still. And at the end, as he was saying his piece, he was like, no, no, you guys are going to like this. I promise. As people were like, boring, shut the fuck up. Like, I don't, to me, it's just like Duke, but like turned down like a notch. Like he's not like full on dickhead, but I don't see him as like a good guy. This match to me was like a tweener and a heel kind of like, not like a, I don't think it was like he was really a face. Maybe if I saw more shit from this era, I would see it. But just from this, like, just seeing this match and the shit around it, it didn't. he didn't seem so, like, good guy to me. He was a face, but he just wasn't well-liked. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, maybe not exactly the same thing, but like Rocky Maivia. Like, fans hated him, but he was still technically a face. He wasn't, you know, well-loved like the Duke was at this time. But I think going, like, looking in, like, the Duke just seemed like to be this sad, 
kind of character of like you're how old you you have this like frat gimmick you only wrestle like in this area you seem to be kind of somebody who's just like this is going to be it for you and like this is it whatever but afterwards like everything that happened with nixon like granted like a lot of that still stayed like he still you know only wrestles in this area but there's more meaning to everything now and like the fact that he is heel like now everything seems to make a lot more sense but back then when it was all alpha beta duke it just seemed seemed kind of cheesy so i think that was the whole kind of point of the duke wasn't necessarily beloved by everybody but you had this new guy coming in and like attacking him yeah i don't know is he's what he has now the character that he has now is way more refined and way fucking better um but it it becomes a thing at the next show like we're going to get to Nixon sooner or later, but when he takes over as part of Nixon, that's kind of when the Duke we see today started to become what he is. Yeah, from the first moment that he comes out at that show, like that's when you see the beginning of the Duke now. All right, let's move on to the next match. Next up, we had the AIW debut of Adam Cole versus ACH. And to me, this was a PWG style match that, you know, AIW likes to kind of pull from time to time. No real notes. It's, it was kind of what I expected to wrestlers wrestling. Um, yeah, that's all I, I got from this match. Yeah, there was like good technical wrestling in it. It was a good match. Uh, guys, I'm going to say it so that I can uh, I can get out of my system. You miss Lizia Sparks, Cole, we know. Adam Cole looks like a baby. Am I right? I guess. Looks like a baby. Uh, he looks so tiny and small because he's a young man. Yeah. But uh, no, ACH, one of my top five all-time AIW wrestlers. Uh, so that's always nice to see him. Uh, there's a spot where they do like a strike battle. And Adam Cole throws a super kick. And ACH, like perfectly sidesteps it and like slides down to like pass it and it looks so slick and smooth like i just if you guys missed it go back and watch it that's a really good time spot and then the whole roman knuckle lock like that's such an athletic different thing to do and it was fun to watch uh and that's, those are my notes do you have anything else stacy no i mean it's kind of for me the one thing to look at is like it's kind of wild where adam cole's career goes from that room to now and where you know he's just kind of like he's featured but he's kind of just in the middle of the card like not a big deal it was a big deal but not like you know he's not headlining the show yeah at the time he's also the current roh tv champion they mentioned that on commentary as well like fourth from the end match and yeah that's kind of a good point of seeing like where his career has gone since then. And like, he obviously came back to AIW a, a couple times after this, but I think there, I thought there was one shortly after this. And then obviously he comes back during Mount Carmel. Yeah. He was in Jayla the next year. Yeah, I was about to say that that's what I'm remembering was Jayla. Cause actually I've, I remember the same young Adam Cole graphic on the Jayla thing. Yeah. He was in Jayla the next year. I think that was the last time he was in AIW until he, came back or he might have i think he might have been in one other match but then he came back and had like his one of his farewell indie matches in the iw 
Yeah, I think that was also at a jailer, and then he did like the masked run in at Hell on Absolution. Earth. Absolution. Absolution. Yeah. Yeah, during the uh, Britt Baker Hornswoggle lumberjack match, while wearing a Doctor Daniel C. Rockingham shirt. Panel Rado Kid mask. Yeah, just about to mention that too. <laughs> All right, if that's going to be it, it was uh, ACH picking up the victory. On to the next one. Next up, the AIW Intense title match. Bobby Beverly, the champion with Chess Flexor versus BJ Whitmer. Uh, Going to just mention the the result right now. It was uh, BJ Whitmer winning, and this would begin his one-year run as Intense champion. I think he actually had to forfeit the belt or something after that, because I was looking at cage match and the title reigns, and it doesn't give a date of when BJ lost, and I do want to say he ended up coming back later and challenging Davey Vega after he won the title, and it was him trying to, like, well, I never really officially lost the title, and I think BJ Whitmer was really crucial to AIW at this point. He was, you know, a veteran talent that would come in, and I think he helped a lot of younger talent, even going up to the fact of when he had his feud with Dominic Greeny, like he was always, you know, putting over younger talent or at least helping them get better. And I, I kind of miss BJ Whitmer in AIW. I know he's off, I think in AEW now, but Hey, I, I think he was great. That's yeah. Like my first note is especially at like during this time period, like the, uh, the Turner's hall time period, BJ Whitmer deserves so much credit for like a lot of the stuff he did behind the scenes. He was a locker room leader. He did a lot of agenting. He did a lot of producing. He did a lot of stuff backstage that I don't think a lot of people knew that he was doing backstage. And he was also performing at an extremely high level. And he he's a very underrated. I think he's a very under underrated wrestler in the Indies, like especially like in the history of the Indies and the matches he had and like his feuds in ROH and everything like that. Uh, so yeah, definitely. And on the same hand, I also want to say Bobby Beverly is such a good wrestler and he's so underrated as an indie wrestler. And like part of it's just cause he doesn't really like, doesn't like to leave the area all that often. Like, but he's, he's so good. Dude, that was, everything. that was, that was my note for this match was Bobby Beverly's a really good wrestler. Like it, really shines through in this match and bobby does the thrust in the match and i so i was sitting there watching this match this afternoon i kind of watched the card in pieces and my girlfriend who hates wrestling is sitting there while i'm watching it he does the thrust and she goes what the hell was that i said that's the greatest move in professional wrestling then aaron bauer says pretty much the same thing and explains how he's perfected the thrust over time and i just just made me so happy Trust the thrust. Any other thoughts on this match? The only other note I have is that uh, so BJ Whitmer wins. He wins with the Peruvian necktie, and the Peruvian necktie is such a cool submission finisher. And like the way he does it is really slick because he just kind of picks up the head and grabs it and hits the move, and it looks really nice. How about you, Stacy? No, all my notes were about Bev being a way better wrestler than he gets credit for. Going back. Uh, he he has gone out of the area, but it's like I think it's rare. Like I know he, you know, he's been down to Jeffersonville, Indiana before, in the past like couple years, but it's never really anywhere like super notable. And like what's crazy too about him is 
when PWO was a thing, he was technically on national television because you could get get it on direct TV. So people were could watch Sports Time Ohio in different states. And I know there there was a following of that kind of, you know, of fans of watching it from other states. And it was also on YouTube. And he had a lot of potential. And there was even a an occurrence where which this doesn't get talked about a lot is when prime wrestling or I think it was actually the last set of PWO tapings they were showing on sports time Ohio and they showed like the same reruns for like a couple months. But one day Jay Moore comedian, Jay Moore was flipping through the channels and he came across this show, uh, you know, PWO and like Bobby had some sort of match in the main event and Jay Moore was tweeting about it. And like there was, and I think there ended up being like maybe a back and forth between them on Twitter. I don't exactly remember everything, but like, that seemed kind of cool. That kind of seemed kind of uh, surreal. And like, it's sadly like Bobby has never been able to get past like a lot of like that shit in his life. But I mean, I, I still love him. I think, I think he's great. And this was kind of a reminder of what young Bobby Beverly was like. All right, let's move on to the next one. Oh, and a match that probably wouldn't fly too well right now. Uh, the Briscoes versus... Irish Airborne, a.k.a. OI4K, a.k.a. OVE. Uh, this was originally supposed to be the Briscoes versus Sex Bombs, and I really wish we would have had that match. I think that would have been a really fucking awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little problematic now in 2020. This was the AIW debut of the Briscoes, the only ever appearance of the Briscoes in AIW. And if I'm correct, Caden uh, is the one that got the shirt. I haven't asked him about that yet, but I do want to say it was him. 12-year-old Caden at the time, too. Now he's 20. Any uh, thoughts on this match, Dustin? So, like, this was a like a good wrestling match. Like, it was a good tag team match. And then, like, from the point that Dave Chris gets murdered into the guardrail from the ring, like, just recklessly thrown into the guardrail from inside the ring... Like, this match just goes off the rails, and, like, the whole finishing, like, it's, like, a good, like, four or five-minute chunk of this match at the end is just bonkers. Just nonstop crazy stuff happening. Like, at any point, this match is going to end, and it's just, it's just boom, 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 and it just, it's a, it's a great ending. It's what was just kind of like a, it was a good tag team match, but, like, the ending just kind of, like, put it over the top to make it, like, a great tag team match. The Briscoes as wrestlers are the kind of tag team I like. Like, I wish there were more tag teams like that of dudes that are a little bit bigger and, like, a little more violent but still agile. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I really like – it's it's a shame that I can't really like the Briscoes because as far as their wrestling goes, I, I like it a lot. You're not going to buy a Demboy shirt? I am not. <laughs> yeah, we all know. I am. I am not. I try not to support people who have those opinions. I'll say this. Dem definitely doesn't stand for Democrat. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah, we all make questionable t-shirt mistakes. I, I've never bought their shirt, though. I will say that. Yeah, this uh, really kind of stands out, too, I think, because obviously the Briscoes, this was their only time in AIW, and the Irish Airborne have been gone from AIW and for such a long time. And I think there was a good period of time, probably a lot of 2012 where 
they, I always considered them like this measuring stick of tag teams in AIW because they would be put up against a lot of teams like such as the Briscoes or whatever other teams that were coming in. Uh, eventually, you know, they, you know, stopped getting booked by AIW, but uh, that kind of like stood stands for what this was at the time. And I really have nothing other than that. And it was the Briscoes picking up the victory. Good wrestling, shitty people. Let's move on. <laughs> Good, good call. Now we have the main event. Now this gets a little complicated of how we got to this point, and I don't think it is really talked about as much, even on commentary. We had the AIW Absolute Championship on the line. The winner of the JLIT that year, Eric Ryan, who became champion after the title was vacated. Johnny Gargano. The gauntlet for the gold winner, we have Tim Dons, who was the number one contender, which they don't really talk about that because there was a time when he was just the number one contender and they were waiting for when the champion would be able to defend it. Unfortunately, that champion was Shima Zion and he just, yeah, he had to, he had to forfeit. So we were thinking we're going to get a triple threat turns into a four way when Shima comes out and adds himself to the match. And I, I think this was actually perfect because of the whole title picture that had gone on for the past, like, six, seven, eight months. Like, everybody's there. Don's the, the number one contender who'd been wanting to go up against and to challenge Shima for the title. And Shima obviously being the champion, winning it from Gargano, who was making kind of a comeback and winning Gauntlet for the gold because, for those who don't know, he was out for a few months prior to that because of a back injury and Eric Ryan, someone who at this point was undefeated for a year wins the JLIT tournament, the inaugural JLIT tournament becomes champion. And this is where we go. And this match was still as cool as I remember. It's really crazy to think about it. Now half of this, this match is in NXT. It went as follows. Shima eliminated Eric Ryan who, like I said, was previously at that point undefeated for a year, and it, he went out quick. They say he was undisputed, undefeated for almost for over two years at this point. They say on commentary. They said that on commentary, but Eric Ryan's promo said he had been undefeated for a year. I don't know. Yeah, they said they said over two years on commentary. Yeah, I, I had heard that, but like I said. Eric Ryan said in his promo that he had been undefeated for a year. No matter what, undefeated for a year, two years, even I think being undefeated in a year in AIW, that's a lot, adding two years to it, but it's still going through as many opponents as he did be and becoming champion. And he, like I said, went out so quick. Like, I remember seeing that originally, and we're like, what the fuck? Like, this dude just finally becomes champion, and he... He gets eliminated so fucking quick. It was then after that Gargano eliminates Shima and we get down to the final two of Johnny Gargano versus Tim Don's, a rematch of the main event of Absolution 6. And I think, too, this was also a big storyline that had been going on for many months. You saw it in the promo package of who's in Flexor Industries. Is it is it Gargano? Is it Don's? What's going on? And culminated with this uh, Don's pitting Argano becoming AIW absolute champion. We'll get to everything that happened after that. Any other thoughts on this match? Uh, 
one of the biggest things still to me is how Eric, why Eric Ryan went out so quick. We'll find out why, but I do think this really fit the time and it was a great main event. Actually, something I've, I had in my notes is I think this whole card is kind of an underrated gem of AIW. It doesn't get talked about a lot. There's a lot of great things going on. It is a product of the time. If it's a 2012 wrestling show, that's a, Basically, what Dustin mentioned to me, so give I'll give him credit for that. Uh, any other thoughts on this match, guys? Uh, Trim Donst, am I right? Like that dude yeah. uh, spelt Tim Donst in this match. Myth, I I have to say, Shima Zion, like that dude deserves all the success in the world. That dude is so talented. He's got such a good look. He's changed his character so many times. Like changed his name so many times. Knows what they're gonna do. Yeah, if NXT like knows what they're doing, they will they will let him like give him like the North American title. If, like if, if it's gonna turn out where Keith Lee's gonna like drop it, like do a title tournament, let him win it, and like I bet you he just like makes that title that much better. I haven't really watched NXT much. Does he get TV time right now? Uh, I haven't been watching, but I've been kind of keeping up. He got like kidnapped and he got brought back as like a lackey sidekick muscle type character i don't know like i said i haven't really kept with the, kept up with it too much i know it's more part of the uh like the cruiserweight picture of things on nxt oh is it on 205 live i don't know what 205 live is i don't think that's a thing oh it's it's the best show it's the best wwe show for sure as long as it's still a show i think it's still a show <laughs> i don't know i don't watch any of it any thoughts on this match, Daisy? No, it was a really good match. Like, I agree with you. I think this is a super underrated show. I had never really heard anybody mention this show. Like, I hear people talk about 10 a lot, obviously. But this Absolution, I had never really heard anybody, like, rave about. It's a fucking solid show. And this last match, for everything that came before this, for all the, the good that came before this match... This match still felt like a main event. It still felt like a big deal even after all of that. Anything else from you, Dustin? Uh, no, that's about it. Like I said, uh, it's it's a really good match, and it it all culminates in which I'm sure you're gonna say here in a second. Tim Downs winning, finally winning the title. He was the number one contender, and he always was in Gargano's shadow, and he gets past that. And we knew we were going to get a new champion like right off the gate because, like you said, Eric Ryan gets eliminated pretty early on in the match. Uh, and then, you know, the lights go out and continue. Well, like like it was said, uh, Tim Donst uh, pinned Gargano, becomes AIW Absolute Champion. Think it it's, th- it's how we're going to end the night. Tim Donst riding off into the sunset as champion. No, there had been this thing going on within AIW there were I think you might still be able to find it on YouTube some like videos that would play uh, and like the hashtag and the Twitter account that was associated with it at that time was at wake up AIW there was even something that happened at Jaylet and it's very ironic the match that it happened during I'll try to remember to mention it later but someone came in I believe they were wearing a Nixon mask and they were, they threw some flyers and there through this build of these videos is a number would be at the end of the video. The first was seven. The second one was one and the third one was 12. So 
7-1-12 was when we were going to wake up. After this match, after Dance wins, lights go out, and this is something where I don't think it matched up. I think we actually seen a video play on the screen that went with a lot of the, the videos that were on YouTube at the time. Here, they just show you a static screen and the logo for Nixon, and it's four men in the ring dressed up like Nixon, and they beat the fuck out of Tim Don's. They end up later on tearing off the main plate to the absolute title, and it ends up being like everybody from AIW trying to attack whoever these these men are. We don't know for a little while. First person to take off his mask when we get to that point is Chris Dickinson. At that time, I didn't know who the fuck Chris, Chris Dickinson was, and I didn't know if I was supposed to care. Like, is it supposed to be like, oh my God, this is great? Or am I, or are you somebody from like the past in AIW that I just, me being a newer fan, I don't know who you are. Like, am I supposed to care? Like, now looking back, yeah, it was kind of a bigger deal that Chris Dickinson was in AIW. And then more people start to, try to defend AIW. You, like I said, mentioned earlier, you see a lot of flexor industries. You see, you even see security guard Joe Norris coming in there and everything. And then the last three kind of take off their masks within a short amount of time. And it's Bobby Beverly, Ricky Shane page and Eric Ryan. What I mentioned earlier, the match that happened at Jaylet that somebody came through the crowd, throwing these flyers and, and then running away was Eric Ryan versus Ricky Shane Page. That's something that I'd noticed after Absolution, this particular show. Uh, to me, this is one of the most memorable endings to an Absolution. I rank it up there with Nick Gage returning. It was where, where you we got surprised with something we weren't necessarily expecting, and it was to a point where I always said with this show, if there was a show right afterwards like a lot of times where a lot of double shows that aaw does if we would have had like another show immediately afterwards even it being 12 o'clock at night probably at this point i still would have would have went because th that ending sucked me in like oh i can't wait till the next show this is gonna be fucking awesome what are your memories on this dustin so all right but this was only my fifth aiw show or fourth AIW show, fifth, fifth AIW show. And uh, I had known like some things. My first absolution was Absolution 5. And I remember that's when Dickinson vacated the intense title. And I remember some things here and there. So I knew who Chris Dickinson was. But I only knew him on his AIW like uh, promo shop that they would use. And he was much smaller back then. And he had hair. So, like, the whole Nixon thing starts to happen. Like, the wake-up music starts to play, and, like, they hit the ring. It's all these guys, and we're like, what the hell's going on? And then, like, they did a really good job. I don't know if, like, I don't know how in the know everybody was that it was going to happen. Because, like, I don't know. Like, it, it just, however they ended up doing it, like, the chaos of the whole thing played out perfectly. And, like, I know talking to Thorne and Biggins afterwards that it got way more out of hand than they thought it was going to get. And, like, they didn't expect them to start flipping gimmick tables and, like, destroying the set. 
and they ended up breaking some equipment that they weren't super happy that they ended up breaking, and it was just kind of a, it was just chaos. And I remember Riggs, like, Riggs got, like, shoot punched in the face by Dickinson, and, like, it was just a, it was, like, it was just chaos, like I said, it was, it was done really well, and I remember Dickinson took off the mask, and I go, and I was like, holy shit, I'm like, who is that? He goes, Chris Dickinson, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I remembered that he had a, va- he vacated the title at the Absolution Down event. So I was like, okay, so this is a guy who, like, basically, like, they, at that Absolution, and I'm pretty sure they do it, like, on the DVD, if you watch the DVD, like, they should talk, talk Dickinson, like, being a no-shower and not being committed to, like, not being loyal or committed to what he says he's gonna do, and, like, they kinda shit on him, and he gets put on the list, like, it was a known thing that he was on the list of AIW guys. So, like, I knew that was a big deal. And then for Eric, Bobby, and Ricky to be the other three guys, they're like, oh, like, this is, like, the heart and soul of AIW, these three guys. This is a big deal. And, like I said, it it literally gave you that, like, is this real? Like, you knew that, like, it's wrestling. So, you know, like, this is a storyline. This is how this whole thing is built but like it got real life out of hand and you could tell that it was getting real life out of hand and then when dickinson tears off the plate and takes that very heavy like i've i've felt that particular absolute championship belt and i've seen the metal and like that metal is a good like half inch three quarter inch thick like hard piece of like metal attached to that belt and him tearing it off and then just frisbeeing it carelessly into the crowd and you hear that thing hit the wall like on the camera and it's loud like if that were to hit somebody like it was just it was a very just like i when i saw that i'm like okay this shit's just getting like real out of control and yeah that that's what i remember from it and then everything got destroyed it's one of the few times that I was hanging out with Adam Laporta at a show where we got out like right after the show was over because they basically just kicked everybody out and said, be on your way. What was it like to watch the end of this show, Stacy? Like, did, did you expect Nixon? Like, I know it's been talked about, but I think it doesn't get talked about enough, mainly because the way it ended, like it started off really hot, but then it kind of goes downhill within six months. So, I mean, I, I think I knew the Nixon thing was happening at the end of this because I think it's in the description on the on IWTV. Uh, you know, the thing that I kind of took from the whole Nixon thing, I thought it looked crazy. Like it, the crazy that you guys have described it being there comes across and watching it uh, and watching like the set come down and like that the throwing the fucking plate off the title belt and being able to hear it on the tape is crazy. Uh, But the thing that stood out to me the most was that there's a current faction in independent wrestling that is just like a busted-ass version of Nixon. Like, that 440 thing is just Nixon with, like, a couple different people. I don't know. I didn't... I had never... I wouldn't have ever put that together... Until I watched this. That was my main takeaway. It was like, oh, here's a really good idea uh, eight years ago that's just being rehashed now somewhere else. You're not totally wrong. I mean, it is 
it's the same thing where it's a guy who was banished by a company coming in. I, I think the only major difference between the two is it'd be more like if Ricky, like he has Eric, but like if it was like Ricky, Eric, and then like two or three other, like, like if it was like Jimmy Lloyd, like if it was like a more like GCW centric group. And that's so right. much a group of outsiders. I think that's really the only major difference is it was an outsider coming in and using three of like, like I said, like the heart and soul of the company. Whereas if it was Ricky coming in to GCW and like using Eric, but then also using like two or three other like GCW guys. Yeah, like GCW, to... GCW guys. I think probably the fact that it's Ricky and Eric and then guys that aren't the other guys that were part of this uh is what made my brain go there yeah it just i don't know it, i would have never pieced it together until i watched it i could i could see where you got that from like and like you said it with ricky and eric both and then you still have some obviously some cleveland guys there too in, in both groups just different people i could i could see that but yeah i, I think nixon was cooler yeah no it's way cooler but like I said, what sucks about Nixon is, and I think it's the reason why it doesn't get talked about, like it started off this hot. And I think the next handful of months, like maybe going in, actually, no, going into end of the world because we had the absolutely insane hell on earth fucking match with Nixon versus Team AIW. Some point after that, it just starts going downhill, maybe having to change things up with Dickinson, like granted that happened initially, but with Dickinson, he was going to be a wrestler who was going to be a part of it. And instead it had to be swapped out with the Duke, which nothing wrong against the Duke being that bad guy. He was good. But I think of like someone who could be in the ring and wrestle with them. It's just, that's where it lost a little bit of its magic. And that, like I said, that hell on earth match was crazy. I did like, Something that we end up seeing, like Dustin kind of reminded me that the list had a lot to do with what they were trying to do with Nixon, because if I'm correct, that's how Tom Dunn came back to AIW, which I thought he was like rumored to be on the list or something. And that's why he was. Yeah, he was on the list. He was. So the whole thing is there's three ways to be on the list. You're either you're on it in pencil, you're on it in pen, or you're on it in permanent marker. And like. At the time, Dickinson was on it in, like, Pencil. At the time, like, Necro Butcher gets used in the Hell on Earth match. Yeah. He was on the list in, like, Pencil. Uh, at one point, I think they used Jimmy Jacobs. He was on the list in, like, Pencil. Uh, like, it's it was, like, one of those things where they do that, and, like, part of it's because, like, the Duke is part owner, so he can do whatever he wants in the company, and he doesn't care who, who they like, who they don't like. He's going to bring in the people that are going to help him. And then that starts the chess flexor versus Duke uh, part of the Nixon storyline. And things just, like, Nixon didn't work for a multitude of reasons. One of them, of course, being that Dickinson kind of said, like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then decided he wanted to do it some more. Uh, and then that even kind of creates its own storyline with, like, B.J. Whitmer getting on Dickinson's case about how Dickinson isn't loyal to anybody but he wants to come here and he wants to make a name in a company that bj is loyal to and bj is help build and bj is helping 
create like a future and that never comes to fruition because Dickinson ends up not coming back to the company. And like, so even that part of the Nixon storyline doesn't work out. Like, it's just everything was so everything had to keep changing on the fly so they could never get a good foothold on what was actually happening with the feud. And then finally, Nixon just kind of dissolved away. Like, I don't think there was ever even like a full on breakup of Nixon. I think it just kind of dissolved and everybody kind of went their separate ways. Ricky ends up going on his redemption story run. Uh, Eric ends up just kind of taking on this like AIW fan favorite. He's there for everybody. Like he's, he's going to get his shots. He's going to get his chances. He's going to put on a good match. He's like going to be that AIW like mainstay type guy. Duke continues with the I'm a rich guy who's going to pay people to take care of things for me. And. Bobby just kind of slowly drifted away, and then this within the past like three, four years has kind of made his made his presence felt a little bit more again. Was the next show, or did you guys say one of the next shows was called Point Break? Yes, yes, yeah. so good. And then I think the next, or no, it was the show before. So like the year before that, or no, it wasn't the year before that. It had been the year after that. Was Gleam in the Cube? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, did like Gleam in the Cube was twenty thirteen. Names things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the Nixon masks and Point Break. It's good. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That part too. Yeah. The, the only other thing that I remember about the Nixon storyline and how it ended, it was Nixon versus AIW thing, and it was it had something to do. I think like Flexer. Obviously, it was well because the Duke and Flexer was who's going to have control of AIW, and Bobby turned on Nixon. Yeah. There you go. There it is. I. Like I said, it, it really, like I said, there were a multitude of reasons that it never truly became the heel stable it should have been. Um, if anybody wants to ask me about it off air, I don't really want to talk about a bunch of stuff that's not really like, not that it's not common knowledge, but like things that aren't necessarily like, they're not like actual things, but like things that I think happened that I don't like, that I'm not like kind of speculate on or things that people have told me in private that kind of makes sense to why things didn't work out for certain things. But like, it definitely was one of those situations where like, there's just so many things that just weren't working and none of the parts ever truly linked up the way that it was supposed to. Like looking back at things, Nixon lasted about a year and a half, but I think it was after that first six months, Nixon was still around, but it kind of took a backseat to everything else. Like looking at some of the other cards really quick, they they just wasn't the same importance. And, you know, even going back to like the next absolution that happens after this, Nixon isn't doing a whole hell of a lot. But it isn't until the end of 2013, because it is Hell on Earth 9, where there is that match where Bobby turns on Nixon and the next show, which I, I always loved how this was framed, was called Dead Presidents. We could talk a lot about Nixon and all that other kind of stuff, but uh, we're, we're we're running kind of long. Any uh, final thoughts on this show as a whole? I'm going to go back to saying, like, I think this is a gem of a show. It doesn't get talked about a whole hell of a lot. There's a lot of great stuff here. Maybe you want to skip a match. That's fine. But there's still, like, a lot of good stuff, whether it be Fontaine and Colin, whether it be the main event whether it be the jock and the duke. So if you got a chance, 
head on over to IWTV, check this show out. It's about four hours. Like there's, there's a lot there. Like even the first hour with the intern competition and the promos and the first match, like that's about 50 minutes right there, but still some good stuff. Thoughts on the show, Dustin. Uh, like I said to you, uh, this is a very like good snapshot of what the 2012 indies looked like. Like as far as guys who were on the show, what they were doing. And it's one of those shows that like looking back on it, if we were to run the same show with the same people, like as far as like just like them as wrestlers, like again, we can talk about people getting canceled, whatever. Like if you were just to put this card together, like let's say at the beginning of this year before all everything came out, like this would be like one of those like, holy shit, this is like a super card of like, I mean, there's there's impact wrestlers, there's NXT wrestlers, there's stuff like a me wrestler, like there's a, like a full gamut of like everything in wrestling. Like this would be like one of those like like when you would hear about like the invitational like memorial shows that WWE would let their guys work in like the late nineties. Like this would that would have been like one of these shows. Like it's just it's a it's a stacked card that looking back on now is even more stacked than we even thought it was back then. Well, and there's something for everybody on this card. Like, if you like ghoul shit, there's a no-rope barbed wire match and the bull rope match. If you like comedy wrestling, there's the Fontaine and Colin match. If you like fucking technical wrestling, there's that Adam Cole ACH match. And there's, I mean, to an extent, Bev and BJ. Um, and then there's the tag match uh, with uh, Aeroform and Euthanasia and Batiri. Like, there's, it's just, it's a really well, like, put together card of uh, something for everybody. Like, no matter what you like in wrestling, you can sit down and watch this show and you're going to see a really good version of what it is you like. All right. Any uh, final thoughts or last minute plugs before we go, Dustin? Uh, like I said, uh, go to the AIW Twitter. Uh, buy some merch, go to IWTV, use promo code ABSOLUTE, get a five-day free trial. If you like it, continue to use it by using that absolute that code ABSOLUTE. You'll be helping out AIW significantly, uh, especially in these trying times where money isn't coming in all that much. Uh, find me on Twitter, at RevTintin. Uh, and besides that, really, there's nothing else going on, because, you know, the entire world is stopped. How about you, Stacey? Um, I agree. You should buy shit from AIW. All the new uh, wing-inspired stuff is fucking cool merch. Um, as far as my shit goes, uh, I actually the newest episode of any of my podcasts is the first part of a two-parter, um, and it's me and John Thorne talking about the career of John Carpenter. Um. Uh, there's also a new episode of Super Chantastic coming up that uh, Ed and I are going to do this weekend. So um, that's what I got going on. For those interested in what we'll be talking about next week, we already mentioned in two weeks, we'll be talking about Absolution 10. But next week, we'll be talking about Big Trouble in Little Cleveland. This is a show that I showed up extremely late for as in i only got to see like the last three matches so i've never got a chance to sit down and try to 
watch the rest of the show. So it's going to be my opportunity next week. And Stacy will be back for that. And uh, we'll also should be also having on young Ed for that episode myself. You can, nice. find, it'll be, it'll be a nice, nice little fun one myself. You can find me at heavy set three, three zero on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, much like you can find this show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, facebook.com slash wrestling cheers, twitter.com slash wrestling cheers, Instagram.com slash wrestling cheers email. If you so choose a desired wrestling cheers at gmail.com. And we have the birch store over at whatamaneuver.net. Like I said earlier, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to this fine podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Podbean, ResinCheers.Podbean.com. Check out our friends on the Trending Topics Network, such as All Beer Inside, Eurovision Showcase, and Wrestling with Altitude. Check out our other podcast friends, such as Let the Hate Flow Through You, Pod Van Dam, Super Fantastic Podcast, It's Evolution Baby, Virtual Pros, the Indie Cast, Center of the Universe, Sobros Network, Game Marks Podcast, We Like Sports Podcast, Spotlight Series, The Chick Foley Show, IWTV Guide, and At Odds with Wrestling. And check out our other non podcast friends such as Thrift Store Jobber, The Savage Dash, The Mystery Men, Mouse's Wrestling Adventures, Good Company, Toy Hio Toy Show, Time Capsule Toys, Two Sweet Toys, Stay Tough, Smoking Jay's Barbecue, Russell Void, Midwest Territory, Southern Underground Pro, and the official graphic designer of Wrestling Cheers, Moy Boy Designs. That will do it for us here on Wrestling Cheers, where everybody knows your name. Maybe unless you're Chris Dickinson, because, you know, fuck that. Later. Taking a break from